Welcome to the Celebrity Estates Wills of the Rich and Famous podcast. In this podcast, we break down high-profile celebrity estate planning cases for advisors and their clients. Most celebrity estate catastrophes are based on the same issues that everyday people face, just with the volume turned up. Our goal is to identify and extract the individual estate planning issues that lie at the heart of each story. We then discuss what advisors should expect and how to avoid common pitfalls. Hosted by WealthManagement.com Senior Editor David Lenock. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of WealthManagement.com's Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous. For anyone new to the podcast, in each installment, myself and a guest take on a different celebrity estate and attempt to extract some key lessons that planners can apply to their more traditional clients. The idea being that celebrity estate planning stories, although often ridiculous in their details, generally have at their very cores basic issues that can just as easily apply to non-famous or fabulously wealthy clients. We have one of our favorite guests rejoining in this week, Megan Gorman. Megan's the founding partner of Checkers Financial Management, which is a fee-only planning firm that specializes in high net worth and ultra high net worth families in San Francisco. Uh, Checkers focuses on establishing long-term relationships with families and helps them navigate through tax, estate, liquidity, and investment planning and Megan heads the firm's family office services practice. She's also a senior contributor for Forbes and a obviously many-time guest on this podcast. Thanks for joining us again, Megan. Oh, thanks for having me back. I'm really excited about today's topic. Yeah, so speaking of that topic, the the subject of today's episode is Luke Perry. Um, Perry was a well-known American character actor who played many roles in films and television from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Oz, Terminal Bliss, Eight Seconds, Riverdale, and most recently, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, But really, he was best known as Dylan McKay, the coolest guy at West Beverly High School, and a teen idol for an entire generation in the 90s, as part of the long-running show Beverly Hills 90210. His portrayal of the surprisingly deep yet troubled the bad boy, and not to mention his iconic sideburns, is one of television's most iconic characters, and unsurprisingly earned him a legion of teenage fans. Sadly, Perry passed away in 2019 at the age of 52. He suffered a serious stroke and was hospitalized under heavy sedation. Five days later, his family made the decision to remove life support after it was apparent he would not recover following a reported second stroke. So the decision to allow Perry to die when he was healthy and vibrant basically less than a week earlier is a pretty interesting one. And the fact that the hospital allowed his family to even make this decision means that he likely executed the proper legal documents so that they even could. Um, in California, those are advanced health care directives or powerful attorneys generally. But without those proper documents, his family members may have needed to get a court order to, in order to terminate the life support, as we've seen in some various feeding tube cases that, that have gone on in the last sort of 15 years. Um, it would have been really like a public and emotional process and at the very best would have prolonged his suffering and made it harder for his family. So additionally, um, and really what we're going to be talking about a little more today is that he left behind some interesting instructions for his funeral. Um, according to his daughter, Sophie, and just as an aside, he also has a son, Jack, who is a fairly successful professional wrestler named Jungle Jack Perry, currently with All Elite Wrestling, which is apropos of nothing, but just kind of cool. Um, but he was apparently buried in a, not in a traditional coffin, but instead in a specially made biodegradable mushroom suit that was intended to help his body decompose and return his nutrients to the earth. Um, and this was specified in his documents. And this may sound ridiculous, there's actually a growing industry for these sorts of green funerals. 
um, driven both by the desire to protect the environment, but also as part of the simple fact that traditional coffin funerals are now extremely expensive. They run some $10,000 on average. And so these expenses and what happens to the deceased body after death are, are weird topics that are often sort of overlooked when we're really talking about estate planning. But you know, they nonetheless hold outsized importance to the family, and they represent a lot of the times the most immediate large financial obligation for the estate itself. So Megan, how does someone really handle their funeral instructions? Yeah, it's a good question. And I have to say just, you know, on the topic of Luke Perry, you know, as a Gen Xer, I was obviously upset when he passed away. But what was really sort of nice to know as someone in the estate and tax world is that he did everything right from a document perspective. And and he really is the model. And we're today going to focus on um, the estate, uh, the, the funeral aspect of it. But throughout everything he did, he followed state law, he had revocable trusts, he had healthcare directives, he did everything as he should. And that's really important for all of us to be thinking about when we go through this. But um, going back to your question, I think the thing is how we handle our funeral instructions can come in a couple of different ways. The most formal way is if we include it in our healthcare directive. Now, I think it's good to define what a healthcare directive is, and that is a written document that informs others of your wishes about your healthcare and allows you to name an agent to decide for you if you are unable to decide. But it also names your agent as the person who will be in control of your body if, you, when, if and when you pass away. And this is really important to understand because just when someone dies, it doesn't mean everything just sort of happens naturally. Someone must take control of the body. And so who you pick as an agent is incredibly important. Now, most people, when they think of healthcare directives, think about things like pulling the plug. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with clients and they spend time laughing about that and talking about that. But then we get to the point of, okay, someone will have control of your body. And first, what about organ donation? What are your choices on that? Now, a lot of people make those decisions on their driver's license, um, but you do also make that inside a healthcare directive. And you can be more, deter you can determine more what they do with your body parts through a healthcare directive. So in California, where I live, you can go for transplant, therapy, education, or research. And you can have all of those categories available to you or just restrict it to one of them. And I think that's important because before Luke Perry was buried in his mushroom suit, he did do organ harvesting. And so his organs are helping save the lives of many others. Now, the, the other thing with the healthcare directive besides organ donation is you can lay out your funeral plans. And most people, when you first get them to do this, they just sort of shrug and they're like, oh, I want to be buried or I want to be cremated. And this is where I think for us as advisors, we have a really great moment to connect with clients. Because when you are having this discussion about burial or cremation, it's not that simple. Because what kind of religious ceremony do you want? Who do you want to speak at your ceremony? Who do you want to make sure, you know, disposes of the ashes? Do you have a place you want the ashes disposed of? And when you start to really press on this, 
what you realize is while most people believe that funeral planning is important, most people haven't really thought about it and thought about memorializing it. And so that's what's so important in a healthcare directive. Now, I'm going to say one last thing, David, which is you don't always have to put it in your healthcare directive. There are some people who can just write it down and, and have it and just write it, write it out in a letter or documents for, for their agent to know. But a healthcare directive is sort of the place that is really formally memorialized. Yeah, and it's important also that that's the place that people are going to know to look for it. As, you know, if you're using some other document that you haven't really told anyone about or you've just written it in your in a piece of paper and stuck it in your drawer, you know, regardless of the you know, legal enforceability of any of that stuff, it has to be found and understood by the people who are in charge of your body for them to do it in the first place. So there's just something to be said for like putting these things in the same place and having them where they're expected to be. Correct. And I think the thing is that also you know brings up the fact that you know, so much of this type of planning, people feel very awkward about it, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been in conversations with clients where the energy in the room sort of shifts and people laugh uncomfortably. And, you know, we have, we as in, in Western culture, and in particular Americans, we, we have this discomfort with death, you know, thinking about it, talking about it, you know, even being around it, like our healthcare system is not geared towards good end of life care, right? But I think what we have to do when you're thinking about these things is you have to think about history and traditions and rituals are there to help us express some of the greatest feelings we have about life's most significant events. And so why we really need to get into funeral planning inside our documents and really have discussions about it is this is really helping to alleviate the people who are going to grieve for you. You're giving them a map to tell them how to grieve. And what I have found is when you've pushed people on this, they start to say, wait a minute, I I I don't want people standing around my casket crying and, you know, bawling. I I want there to be some joy, Um, you know, and, and, I had this client, this is probably now about 10 years ago, um, who sent me a newspaper article when we were doing his estate plan. And it was a newspaper article about the fashion designer, Alexander McQueen. And Alexander McQueen, he was a creative genius, but unfortunately he died by suicide. But he had requested that at his death, there be a memorial service. And what was unique about this memorial service, and it was well photographed, was all of the women he had dressed in these avant-garde, cutting-edge designs from Kate Moss to Naomi Campbell to Sarah Jessica Parker to Anna Wintour showed up in his designs. And it was like one final crazy fashion show, which was very McQueen. It was very much his essence. And even though people went and they were sad, they were also joyful because it was one last time to celebrate how he lived his life. And, and my client had, had tagged a little note on this article and he said, I want this. My client's a fashion designer as well as background. But, you know, I think that's so important to use rit- ritual and use these documents to guide emotion. And, and David, I don't know, have you done your funeral plans? I actually haven't. I'm a big hypocrite when it comes to these sorts of things. Um, <laughs> Shoemaker's I mean, children do, always have on, the worst On the other shoes. hand, I, I do own 
my my plot where I'm going to be buried. So in a certain degree, we have a family circle, and so in you know the the Jewish cemeteries are very tough to get into uh, in, in the Northeast. So you kind of have to yes. make your reservations pretty quick. So while I don't have full funeral plans, I do have you know I I know where I'm going to be. Uh, and and so. that's an important, but that's an important part, right? You're Jewish, I'm Catholic, and I have found as I've aged, right, that having more into my funeral plans that are is religious. It, it, it's surprising to me that I want to have more religion in my in my funeral plans. But I think that goes to the fact that as a child, I always found the rituals of the Catholic Church sort of calming, right? Um, and, and I'm sure in, in all in your faith and in other faiths, there are rituals that help us grieve. And I think in the estate planning, when you're doing these funeral plans, you want to be specific. So, you know, I was surprised when I did my mother's estate plan, I would have gotten 85% of her funeral plans correct. I would have been close. But there was 15%. And it was pretty, it was more about what would happen in church that surprised me that I hadn't thought through. Um, so I think the other thing that advisors have to think about is, you know, our clients come from lots of different religious backgrounds. And while some of them might not talk about religion in our meetings, when it comes to something like their funeral and death and mourning, religion is going to play a very important part. Absolutely. And, and the other side of this coin, too, in terms of having this plan and this guide um, for grieving, sort of existential you know, mourning guide, is just that also these are going to be traumatized people that are left behind. So you're doing them a service just by giving them a roadmap. You know, obviously it's it's even it's hard for clients to talk about their death in the first place, and and talking about what's going to be do, done with like the hunk of meat that remains after you're gone is sort of even harder, right? That's like an even more sort of awful thing to think about. But you know, as hard it is for you to think about it, it's even harder for your family after you've just died to then have to go coffin shopping or something like that. I mean, there was a great scene in the recent remake of. Uh, you know, they, they remade, uh, what was it, Perry Mason on HBO. And uh, there was a oh, murder yeah. at the center of that show. And there was a great scene of the sort of the traumatized wife sitting there as someone tried, as like the funeral home tries to sell her like on different coffin packages. And she's just completely messed up. And, and the whole thing is just so ghoulish and awful. And while that's sort of obviously a dramatization, it does kind of give a good representation of sort of what's going on. And people, you know, well, plan, you know, you just lost a loved one. You're super traumatized. Now plan their funeral. You know, and what and figure out what they want. It's got to respect them, but you know, you're just not in a good headspace to have to make these decisions. So the person, you're also just doing your family a service by laying these things out, so they don't have to think about them when they're not in a good headspace to think about things. Exactly, and you think about the the Luke Perry estate. He left into two children. I think the daughter was 19, the son 21, 22. And what was really unique about his funeral plans is besides doing organ donation is as you brought up earlier he wanted a green funeral and i thought about this and you know this is becoming trendy with with gen x but in particular millennials and gen zers and his children are gen zers and i i thought about the fact that he picked a green funeral that in a way it was also for them you know because it's something you know the the environment and and focusing on you know environmental issues is such something important to those in their 20s this is something that his kids probably had peace with with how he wanted to be memorialized and i think that's so important and you see these trends going on there's another thing i've seen out there where i've had people do there's a group called better place forests and this is an interesting concept because you buy a tree in a grove or your family buys a small group of trees 
and your ashes are spread there and it's yours in perpetuity. And it's just sort of this interesting concept now of having a place that's beautiful to go to that might not be your traditional cemetery. Mm-hmm. And you know, the other side of the coin of these things is that they are less expensive. And while that's, you know, you don't want to sound like you're cheaping yes. out on your funeral, the idea that you could get something somehow more unique and individualized for less money than the traditional package is, is is kind of a crazy thing to think about that doesn't occur to people. I'm pretty sure this Luke Perry mushroom suit ended up costing like, like $2,500 or something like that. Where it I'm sure probably did. In a, in a fancy coffin would have been four times that. Um, and that, I think you're seeing, I've seen some statistics where you know, more and more people are opting for cremation because of that. Because again, that's something that costs $2,000 and then you can do some ritual with the ashes that's sort of very personal in a way that just like taking the body and dumping it in the ground in a box isn't necessarily quite as personal to certain people. So I think cost is, is, is a big element of this too. And so are there any ways to sort of plan for that cost if they do want to go with the traditional big route um, yeah. and, and, and not go for something cheaper? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think that, you know, what, I, what I'm what i always sad to see when, when someone passes on Facebook is seeing a GoFundMe for funerals. Oh, and that's awful. not uncommon. It's really awful. And I think most people don't realize that the average funeral, you know, with, with burial... It's a large sum of money. Um, So for planning for it, you know, I think it depends where you are in your life, right? You know, I'll give you, you know, I think that in in the discussions that we have with clients, we need to be asking them, okay, when you do, when you're planning your end of life, you know, are we going to earmark funds to pay for the funeral? And that's where you can really start to have a discussion with clients of what does this really cost? Now, I will tell you, you can prepay funeral costs. There are programs to do that. But I'm going to be very blunt. They are often seen as a bit controversial, right? Because they can be seen as you're putting money away and they're not the best terms to put money away on. So I would tell most people it's often good to earmark funds or say something in your document about how much you want to spend. So I'll, I'll give you an example. I had a client put in their documents, I want, when I pass away, I want to have, my, you know, be cremated, but the memorial service will be at the restaurant and bar that we had my 50th birthday party. And I am giving a budget of up to $30,000 on that. Now, this is obviously somebody who's wealthy, who, you know, can afford to do something like that. But I thought it was unique that they put a number in for it. Um, but, but to answer your question more directly, I think you can prepay for things. Um, Better Place Forest, which I mentioned, you know, they let you pick your tree out and you can pay for it all up front um, so that you can see exactly where your ashes will be spread. So it's, yeah, it's really know, a choice. I've heard of funeral insurance as well. I don't know if you have much experience with that, but it's definitely a thing that exists. Uh, I have very little experience with it, so... Yeah, I mean, I have a little bit of experience with it. And again, it's do you want to have an insurance policy for this? And I think for some people, it might make sense. I see it more with boomers um, and, and and early boomers, right? Um, and, and, and silent generation. This was something they specifically planned for with insurance. I think the question you have to ask yourself is, with everything you're trying to do to protect your family... How cost effective do you want to make your funeral? Because would your family be better off using some of the liquidity for other things? Because remember, estate administration, some things happen where you have to pay down debt and you have to clean up some of your finances before your family inherits it. So I'm always sort of, you know, this type of stuff is out there. 
I'm just a little more wary because I think that today people's financial needs are so much more that they really need to use the money from their estate for other things. So being cost effective on funeral planning is key. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up uh, this idea of debt because you know, we've been kind of been talking, assuming liquidity for most of this uh, conversation. But actually, you know, our very last episode of this show, we were talking about insolvent estates. And um, you know, one of the things that I think people don't realize is there are there is an order when you're in debt. There is an order of people that can come and collect money. And there's a legal order that the money has to be handed out in. And there are several types of creditors that get money before funeral costs. So yes. it's important to keep in mind funeral costs. It seems like it would be like, okay, I pay for the funeral. And then whatever's left, I pay the debts. No, not always. If the IRS and wants that money, they will take it before you have the funeral. They, so it's important to keep that hierarchy in mind when you're dealing with something insolvent and planning for a funeral is that you, know, you have to make sure that the money for the funeral is actually there. Exactly. Exactly. You don't want to put your family more in debt or have them do a GoFundMe in order to pay for your funeral. And look, I think that you are seeing a trend more towards cremation. And one of the things I will say, uh, just as a side note with cremation, is you hear these stories where people say, okay, I, I want to be cremated. But then I've heard stories where people have not picked the ashes up at the funeral home because they don't know where the ashes should go. Um, I've heard people, you know, keep the, the, the ashes in the back of their car because they're trying to figure out, you know, what, what kind of ceremony to do. So when you do decide on cremation, it is more cost effective, but you also need to be explicit on what you want to have happen with the ashes. And I bring this up because the most common thing I hear people say is, I would love my ashes to be spread in this waterway. I can't tell you how often that happens. Um, I have one client, it was interesting, they, they had always had, they had vacationed off an island of Maine and the explicit instructions were, my brother should take me out in the boat and they're spread our ashes, my ashes in all of these places off the shore where we had great times as children. And I will tell you that's, fine to put in your documents, but spreading ashes in waterways is actually not technically legal. And so it's not always enforceable. It doesn't mean people don't do it. I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, we let my grandmother's ashes out in the ocean. Um, but I will tell you, you know, really think about disposition of the ashes and who do you want to have it? Because what you don't want to have happen is that your ashes sit on the shelf in the funeral home for long periods of time. And I, I recently had someone tell me that they had lost a sibling as a, as a child and that their siblings, ash, their parents could never figure it out. And the ashes sat there for decades. So it yeah. just sort of seems sad, a sad ending to the story. So think about this in the context of, you know, when you're going through this, as uncomfortable as the discussion is, how do you really want the story to end? Yeah, I chuckle at it always, which is a little bit of a weird reaction, but I can't, every time I think about disposition of ashes, I think about the end of The Big Lebowski, where yeah. they're sort of standing, where they're <laughs> going to scatter their friends' ashes, and they're standing over the ocean, and um, you know, John Goodman sort of pours out the coffee can full of Steve Buscemi's ashes, ashes and then they, the wind kicks up, and they just blow all over you know, the dude standing behind him, and he's just covered in his friend, and it's just sort of, well, like, it, goes like, it goes hilariously wrong. Well, um, by the way, like the reason that's that funny... The reason that's funny is because there's truth in it. Because I will tell you, yeah. when we let my grandmother's ashes out, it, they blow. They blow around yeah. and you're not prepared for it. So, um, it, but that scene, you're right. It just sort of nails the whole, 
what are you going to do with the ashes conundrum? And, yeah, and you got to be careful for what you decide to do. The situation. But also, yeah. um, you, know, you mentioned these, you know, A, it's illegal in certain waterways to put it, but also like, don't give too much of an errand, you know, and if you do, maybe try to leave the means for it to happen. Because I mean, it's great to say I want my ashes spread on the moon. But, you know, actually think about the mechanics of the people who you're now leaving with that burden, you know, or I want to spread in these waterways. If these waterways aren't local, then, you know, give some thought and maybe put some money aside to actually allow for this activity to happen without being a burden on your remaining family. Well, you know, the funny thing is, as you're saying this, I immediately came to the thought of Hunter Thompson, the, the writer. And, you know, obviously he was successful. He knew a lot of wealthy people. And he had specifically asked that his ashes be fired out of a cannon. And this is something I think Johnny Depp paid for. Um, so, you know, people do some crazy stuff here um, in terms of what they want to have happen. But I do want to bring up one funeral planning story that I really, truly love. And I, I hope... I, I, my act is together as much as this person's when they plan their funeral. But I wanted to also bring up uh, Nora Ephron. And she passed away back in 2012. And we all know her as the screenwriter for Sleepless in Seattle and Heartburn. And, you know, she was just a very prolific voice in Hollywood. And people knew her for really loving her food. Um, and she wrote numerous books. And when she died, she had a file labeled Exit which I thought was, the wording was unique because she's a screenwriter, right? So that would be how you'd write the scene. And what her family and friends found were meticulous instructions. She had designed the memorial service, including um, the books that would be given out with some of her favorite recipes. She had designed the lineup of speakers. Now she had Meryl Streep and Martin Short and Tom Hanks as her speakers, but she had the order in which they would speak and how long they had to speak. And it was a ceremony that, you know, people talked about was that it was the most appropriate fitting ending because it matched who she was in life. And she was somebody who was very caring towards her friends, loved to feed her friends, but smart and funny and witty and had her act together. And so I love the idea of bookending Luke Perry's fabulous estate planning and, and funeral planning with Nora Ephron's because both of them lived in Hollywood and lived that life, but they knew how to make an exit. And so that sort of thinking through that, this is your chance to, to make an exit. And, and for those of us who are advisors, you know, I know people get afraid to go into certain places with, with clients, right? Because you don't know what you're going to find. You ask a question, you uncover, turn over the rock, and a piece of information comes out that can be jarring or intimate or, or at times disturbing. And I, I will tell you, if you spent time and had a meeting on this with your client, right, and really just worked through this and had these discussions of, you know, what have you seen people do? What do you want? Hey, let me tell you about Luke Perry. Let me tell you about Nora Ephron or Alexander McQueen or Hunter Thompson. Let's try to discourage the Hunter Thompson one. You know, but this is really important to have to talk through it. And I also think you need to talk about the ones that go wrong. And I know, David, when we were prepping for this, you had one. You had a good celebrity story that went awry, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the, my ultimate. This is a little bit more in the legal weeds. But, um, you know, Jim Thorpe, for anyone who doesn't know, is basically the greatest athlete in American history for quite a while. Maybe, you know, maybe now it's LeBron. But, you know, back then he was a, a Native American and he was an NFL, NFL football player, college football star, uh, an Olympic athlete, track and field. Uh, he was an amazing athlete and was one of the most famous people in the country. And uh, he died and was buried 
on an Indian reservation in Oklahoma. And I apologize if my nomenclature here isn't completely 100%, but on a Native American res- reservation in Oklahoma, and he and his, but his wife wasn't thrilled with that, even though that's what he had specified in his documents. So his wife, as we mentioned before, had control of the body. The spouse gets control, and it's a very strong right that they have. So she effectively won a court case to exhume his body. So they went onto the Indian reservation and dug him up. They, over, you know, they, they overruled tribal, tribal sovereignty, which is insane. And they dug him up, and then she effectively sold his body to the highest bidder, um, which is now you know the city, the city of Jimport, Pennsylvania. He'd actually never been there in his life. They were just the ones who promised to build a statue in a museum. They were trying to create a tourist attraction. So they offered her the most stuff in exchange for Jim Thorpe to be buried there. So now there's a city where Jim Thorpe is buried, Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. He was never there. That was just sort of bought and sold. And that was allowed because that's how strong the spouse is and, and the person who controls the remains, ability to control those remains actually is. They pulled him up, dug him up off an Indian reservation and moved his body to a place he's never been all on her say-so. And you know, I'm not here to impugn her, but I'm just here to demonstrate the sort of, you know, these things can go wrong. You, even if you're, you know, no matter how specific you are, there, there are some things that have to be planned for and can't be avoided. But that story, I think, is so great to use with clients, right? Because you want to tell them when things go awry and things go wrong. Because what makes Luke Perry's, uh, you know, funeral planning so unique is that it was perfect. It was good. It was done and executed exactly according to his wishes. And it doesn't always work out that way. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the part of the show where normally I would ask our guests to sort of one last question is something is up, but I think I think Megan's done a really good job of that already. So instead, I'm just going to thank Megan for coming back on. Thank you so much, Megan, for being a great guest. Thanks for having me, and for everybody listening, do the funeral plans. I will tell you, it's a great, <laughs> it's a great, it's just so much fun. You'll really enjoy it, and you you really truly help people. Thanks and for on having that me note on, David. Of, of how fun <laughs> funeral plans are. Uh, <laughs> that's all the time we have so uh, I'll see you or I guess you'll hear me on the next episode of Celebrity Estates Wills of the Rich and Famous thank you for listening to the Celebrity Estates Wills of the Rich and Famous podcast click the subscribe button below to become notified when new episodes become available The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InformaWealthManagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.